thank you guys. Hey, I just want to, before I get started, um, I know that this day, this, this, this weekend of celebrating Mother's Day can be kind of tough for some people. Uh, there's a lot of complicated relationships we have with, with our mothers sometimes, and, and I know that it can be difficult for a variety of reasons, so I just want to extend a special uh, welcome to you, too, if, it, if this is a hard day, and we're going to honor you and thank you for, for coming this, this weekend. So. But it is Mother's Day. So I want to, since I have the microphone, I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, um, especially a couple. Um, my mom, who is on the beach right now, <laughs> yeah, so she is, she's having a really good Mother's Day, and she's just, she's awesome. She has uh, impacted me more than just about anyone in the world, uh, been an example of what a, a pastor should be like, and a yeah, she's awesome. So happy Mother's Day, Mom. I know you're going to be listening to this in a couple days. I love you. Um, and also, my beautiful wife, Lara, who's sitting right there. She is just the... <laughs> she's looking behind her. Uh, she's just about the most amazing partner I could ever ask for in raising our daughter, Olive. And I couldn't ask for a better mother for my, my little girl. So thank you for all that you've done. You're awesome. I love you. All right. So... Now that we got the mushy stuff out of the way. Again, these are awesome, aren't they? These are like my favorite things we've ever given out for like Mother's Day or Father's Day. And it makes me a little bit jealous, right? And I know that that's, that's, uh, that's something that's actually in my heart. That when someone gets something that I want, there's like this thing that's like, oh, I deserve that. Or, or you know, if someone's being honored for something, I think, why? You know, why am I not being honored today? I know no one's wished me a happy Mother's Day. And that's, that's just a joke, but th there is some truth in that. I'm, there's a natural lean inside of me that leans to comparing myself. Like, do I have as much as that person? Am I, am I as good as of a musician as this person? Am I, you know, do people like me as much as this, as this guy? And, you know, I, I see a lot of looks right now. Don't act like I'm alone in that. Don't act like I'm alone. I know we all struggle with this. We all compare ourselves with other people. You know, is my house as big as that guy? Is my, is my, does my lawn look as nice? Does, you know, do I have as much in my bank account? Am I as good looking? We compare ourselves. And unfortunately, we do this spiritually too. We compare each other spiritually. We think, you know, how good of a Christian am I? You know, I, I, I'm doing a heck of a lot better than Joe, but maybe, maybe I mean, you know, Bob, he's doing, he's doing pretty great. And, and the, the, re, the thing that is so unhealthy about doing that, and sorry if your name is Joe, I, don't, I didn't mean that, but the thing that's so unhealthy about that is typically what we're comparing is, is behaviors, to determine how good of a Christian someone is, most of the time we're just looking at behaviors. We're, we're seeing, you know, are they following these set of rules? Are they, you know, not doing these things? And are they doing these things? Like, are they, you know, not, you know, cussing and smoking and doing those things? And are they going to church and, and reading their Bible? But do you know that when, when God talks about the normal Christian life, if we read throughout scripture, it is not a system of rules. He's not inviting us into a life of simply just making good decisions and avoiding bad decisions. He's inviting us into a life of intimacy with him. He's inviting us into a relationship with him. He's inviting us into intimacy. And intimacy is this weird word that, you know, sometimes has, I think, a really bad definition. Intimacy is not something that we feel. Intimacy is not a feeling. Intimacy is a decision. It's a choice that we make. I love the definition of intimacy. I think I first heard this from Rich Nathan where he said, intimacy is in to me see where it's this choice to say, I want to be vulnerable before you. I want my life to be open to you. 
I want, I want you to see inside of me. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's the normal Christian life is a life of intimacy. Saying, I'm yours. It's not simply just to avoid sin, to do the right thing. It's a relationship. And that doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, choices to be made. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that we need to avoid. That doesn't mean that God is not calling us to do certain things and to not do other things. I mean, any relationship has a system of rules. Every relationship that we're in has has boundaries and, and, and certain rules that we live by, especially intimate relationships. Especially, I mean, think about a marriage. I mean, a marriage, you, you stand before, you know, a bunch of people and you say, I'm, I'm not going to be with anyone else. You make these vows, you make these, you basically adopt these rules and say, these are the rules we're going to live by in this intimate relationship. So there are rules, but let me say this, a healthy marriage, a healthy marriage, even though there are rules, they're not based on the rules. They're not based on the rules. Let me tell you what I mean by that. My marriage with Lara is not just simply that I'm not with any other people. It's that I am with her. Does that make sense? It's more than just not being with other people. It's about being with her. Intimacy is about this choice of saying, I am with you. Not that I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that, even though that can be a part of it. A healthy, intimate relationship is being vulnerable, saying, Lord, see inside of me and this relationship that we have. And we, we, the, the, the problem is, is so many times we get it backwards with God, right? We say, I'm going to follow these rules so that I can have intimacy with you. Like if I don't do this, then God's not going to like me. Or I can't, I can't enter into a relationship with him unless I'm obedient. But we, we talk about this a lot in this church, that, that obedience comes out of intimacy. That in the gospel of wholeness, we talk about intimacy first, and then dependency, and then obedience. It's not the other way around. Intimacy, relationship, is at the core of our normal Christian life. And what's difficult is there is no one else in the universe. There's no other being in the entire universe that's anything like God. So a relationship with him is unique. And I feel like sometimes that's the reason why we, we, we fall back into follow, just following the rules and making the rules the primary part of our relationship with God is because that's easier to measure. It's easier to determine how we're doing if we're saying, you know what, I'm not doing that thing. I'm not doing those things, so I think I'm doing pretty well. But intimacy and relationship is really hard to measure. So the reason I am talking about all of this is because we are going to continue our series on the kings. We're going to be looking at a king named Amaziah. And Amaziah is a really cool king. I love this story. And I think this story gives us a picture of what intimacy with this God can look like or what it should look like and how it's unique to, to us and how it's unique to other relationships that we have. So we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles 25. And before um, we jump in, let me just pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We thank you that you're, you're inviting us into intimacy and not into a club, not into a set of rules, but you're inviting us to be family. So Lord, we, we invite you here this morning. We say you are welcome and come speak to us. Amen. All right, so Amaziah, he is the son of Joash. Now, Joash was the king we talked about two weeks ago. Remember, he was the little boy that they hid away in the temple for six years. Amaziah is his son, and he is the king of Judah. Um, and Judah was the southern kingdom. Remember, there was a civil war that happened where Israel split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom of Judah. Now, it's important to know that Israel was 
they went off the, 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 you know, they went off the, the tracks. They completely abandoned God. They turned to idols. They did not have one good king. If you read through the Bible, not one of their kings was a righteous king. Now, Judah had a number of good kings and a number of bad kings. They were up and down and up and down. Um, but it's important for us to remember that Israel had completely abandoned God as we re continue to read this story. But Judah, um, they were in the middle of this conflict with the, the nation of Edom. And Edom was ju just south of Judah. Um, and, and one thing that's kind of interesting, it has really nothing to do with my sermon, but Edom, was they were the descendants of Esau. So there's some common ancestry there. But there was this conflict that was happening between Judah and Edom. And right now it wasn't a military conflict. It was just, you know, with trade and a lot, of, a lot of stuff like that. But it was about to turn into a military conflict. You could feel it kind of rising up, that this was about to turn into a war. So Amaziah, as we jump in, he's trying to beef up his military. He's trying to boost his, 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 his fighting force. So we're going to start in 25 and verse 5. It says, Amaziah called the people of Judah together and assigned them according to their families to commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He then mustered those 20 years old or more and found that there were 300,000 men fit for military service, able to handle the spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel for 100 talents of silver. So we're stopped for a second. So basically what he's doing is he, he, he kind of you know, did a landscape of who he has. And he's like, we have about 300,000 troops. And that's not quite enough. We need to get some more. So he goes to Israel. Remember, Israel was the, the, the kingdom just north of them. And he, and he hires 100,000 mercenaries from, from Israel. And he pays them, it says, 100 talents of silver. Now, there's a little bit of speculation of how much 100 talents of silver it would be. Um, very, the most conservatives say it would be just over a million dollars. And... Some people say it's multi, multi-million dollars, but it's definitely somewhere over a million dollars. So it's a large sum of money. So let's keep on reading. Verse 7. It says, But a man of God came to him and said, Your majesty, these troops from Israel must not march with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the people of Ephraim. Even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to overthrow Amaziah asked the man of God, but what about the hundred talents I paid for these Israelite troops? And I love what the, the man of God says. The man of God replied, the Lord can give you much more than that. I love that. So basically, um, Amaziah, he, he, he got these troops from, from, Is, from Israel and the, this prophet, this kind of unknown man of God comes to him and says, you got to send those guys back. They're, they're not on the side of the Lord. And if you, if you march with them, we're going to lose. And Amaziah is like, but I've paid like well over a million dollars for these guys. I've already paid them. And the prophet says, don't you know, God can give you so much more than that. And that's the truth. But here's what's strange. It seems like what Amaziah was doing was a very logical thing. Like he could sense that there was, a, there was a war on the horizon and he knew that his military wasn't, wasn't strong enough to, to you know, engage with Edom. He knew that this is going to be bad news. We only have 300,000 men. We need more. So he does something very logical. He goes to Israel and, and he hires some more troops. And I mean, there doesn't seem to be anything that wrong with doing that. But God says, no, I want you to send them back. And the reason is, is because God is very different than us. God's perspective is, is so much different than our perspective. You know, God's ways of doing things, God's, you know, he, it's just so much different than, than our earthly ways of doing things. God doesn't always make sense. You know, I've seen this over and over again in my life where God asked me to do something that just, I'm like, really, God? You want me to, you want me to do that? 
like, I'm not good at that. Why do you want me to do that? Or you ask me not to do something. I'm like, but God, this makes sense. You know, like, it seems like if I don't do this, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose or something bad's going to happen. Over and over again in my life, God asked me to do things that just defy my earthly logic. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. I love what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 55. He's speaking on behalf of God in verse 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is one of the reasons why Being in a relationship, being intimate with God is so difficult because he is so different than we are. He is so different. And he's different in all kinds of ways. Like if you look throughout the Bible, he says things like, the first shall be last. That doesn't make any sense. The first is first. The last is last. He tells us that we should forgive those who have wronged us. No, we prosecute those who wrong us, Lord. We retaliate. No, he says you don't retaliate. You know what you do? If someone strikes you in the face, you don't just say, that's okay, and walk away. He says you turn your cheek and let you strike the other cheek. Let them strike your other cheek. God's ways are very different than our ways. I mean, just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was constantly making people go, huh? That doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you picking these people to be your followers? Like, why don't you pick the best and the You're picking, like, these, you know, like, uneducated fishermen or, or you know, traitors to the Jewish faith or, or, you know, he's picking sinners and he's doing things that are so much different than the way that I would have done it. It's because God's ways are different than our ways. You know, I remember times in my life where I was financially struggling, where I was, you know, trying to make ends meet, working at Starbucks, and cars were breaking down, and all things were, you know, not looking good. And, and I remember, like, really asking the Lord, like, is it, is it really important that I tithe right now? Like, I, I just, I don't know if I can pay my bills. Is it important that I tithe? And I remember this one time in particular, he said, yeah, it is important that you tithe. In fact, I want you to give a double tithe. And I said, God, didn't you hear what I was just asking you? And I remember this, this situation supernaturally. It felt like my bank account had extra money in it. I'm not joking. I would just look at my bank account and feel like, where did, I don't, that just doesn't make sense. And it's because God's ways are different than our ways. He says, I want you to give money to me before you pay your bills. That doesn't make sense. We look out for ourselves first, Right? God's ways are different. His perspective is, is bigger than ours. It's higher than ours. The way I like to think about it is that he's higher. He can see the whole picture. We're down here. We see just a little bit. We see just a little bit. We can see like what's right in front of us, but he can see the entirety of history. He can see everything that's ever happened in the past, everything that's happening around the world. He can see the entire future. His perspective is much bigger. Our perspective is very, very limited, and we know that. How many times have you said something like, if I would have known what was under the trunk of that, or under the hood of that car, I would have never bought it. Or if I would have known that that boss was going to be, you know, like this, I would have never taken that job. Or if I, would, if I could have really seen the foundation of that house, I would have never bought it. Or I would, have, I would have never gotten into this relationship if I would have known that this person was going to do this. Or I would have never. Our perspective is limited. So many times we just, we can't see the future. Actually, all the time we can't see the future. This is one of those examples where Amaziah is saying, why shouldn't I boost my military? We're facing a pretty strong military power. And, and part of the reason why God was telling Amaziah not to, 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 to get these troops from Israel is because what we talked about, Israel was, was an evil nation. 
And God was saying, I don't want you to align yourself with these people. Like, don't, don't do that. Send them back. But you know what I think the bigger reason was? That God sent this prophet to say, send the troops back. It was because Amaziah never even consulted God. Amaziah saw a problem in his life and he said, I'm going to just fix this. And that's, that hits at my heart. That's what I do all the time. If there's a problem, I think, what, what, do I, what, what natural means do I have to fix this? I don't, I don't necessarily always go to God and say, what do you want me to do? But God was saying, Amaziah, you didn't even ask me what I wanted. You didn't even ask me what I wanted. Because see, this may have been the right thing to do, but again, God is not calling us to just simply live a life of making right decisions. He's calling us of a life of intimacy where we're, we're saying, God, what do you want? What do you have for me? I mean, honestly, it's not just about doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. It's about being in relationship. Saying, God, where do you have me? Where do you want me to go? And I, and I really think that that's one of the reasons that's, that God calls us into these crazy things. Like when he calls us to, like I was saying, when I'm like, God, why are you asking me to do this? I'm not good at those things. Like, why do you want me to do this? This is not in my natural skill set. This is not in my comfort zone. He's like, exactly. When you are just doing things that are in your natural comfort zone, you don't need me. When you step out of your comfort zone, that's the time when you say, God, all right, I'll do this but you got to be with me. God's like, exactly. That's what I want. I just want to do this with you. When we're just constantly living a life where we're not doing anything that just stretches us, it's so easy for us to forget that we need God. But when we're taking those risks, when we're listening to the Holy Spirit saying, step out in faith, do this thing that you're not naturally good at, that's when we say, okay, God, but you got to be with me. That's what God wants. Amaziah saying, I've already given Israel over a million dollars. That's going to be gone. I'm going to lose it. And I love, I love what he says. The Lord can give you much more than that. And that's the truth. So many times, what we want the Lord to do in our life, what we want out of our life is so much smaller than what the Lord wants to actually give us. We think, oh man, if I could just have this, then things would be great. And God's like, you have no idea how much greater the things I want to do in you are. I can do so much more than your, what you think your dreams are. Conventional wisdom says that what Amaziah was doing wasn't really wrong. It was just different than what God wanted. God is very different from us. I love this quote by Jen Wilkin. She says, God is self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign, infinite, and incomprehensible. And we're not. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing. We are very limited in our resources and it causes us to run to this, you know, all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful God. That's how he designed it, for us to be in an intimate relationship with him where we say, I need you, God. God was asking Amaziah to trust him even though his plans were very different than what worldly plans would be. But you know what happened? If you read further in the story, they win the battle. They win the battle. He sends the troops home. They go back to Israel and they are victorious in battle. They win. But the truth is, it says it's sometimes when God asks you to do something, and you send the troops back, you don't win the battle. Sometimes you go into a situation that God has called you to go into and you lose. 
You know, I've talked to so many people that say, you know, God asked me to do this thing and it didn't work out. I don't know if I can trust him. Or God, you know, asked me to go in this direction or to, to, to do this thing and it just, it fell apart. It didn't work out. And let me, let me just say this, that if we had God's perspective, I don't think we'd see it that way. I really don't. I mean, I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again because I think it's really powerful. But I remember in my uh, church history class learning about John Wesley. And John Wesley was this amazing, amazing uh, evangelist. And he evangelized pretty much all of Europe. This, this amazing revival happened because of, because of what Wesley did in Europe. And he was so inspired and felt like the Lord was calling him to go to the Americas and evangelize to the Native Americans. And so he did. He brought a bunch of his missionaries to, to the Americas, and it failed miserably. And if you read church history, they'll tell you that it was a failure that he was there for just a short time and it didn't work out, so he left. And even in his writings, he will say that was a mistake. But you know what? I don't believe it was a mistake for one second. And you know why? It's because my great-great-grandfather was a, a Cherokee Indian and he accepted Jesus because of the John Wesley uh, revival in America. That, and I remember learning about this. I remember learning about how the, the, this Wesleyan trip to, to the Americas was a failure. And I remember thinking like, well, no, it wasn't. That's how my family came to the Lord. That's how my family came to know Jesus. And I remember the Lord speaking to me. He said, JT, maybe the whole reason that I had John Wesley experience this major failure in his life was so that you can know how much I love you. I love you that much that I would send John Wesley across the world to tell your great-great-grandfather about, about me. That's how much he loves us. And maybe even a step further, maybe the whole reason that John Wesley, you know, came to the Americas and, and experienced this, this failure was so that today you can know that your failure is not really a failure. God wants you to know right now that the thing that you are doing that you feel like didn't work out the way it should have, he's saying you don't even know. You don't even know the end of the story. God is calling us into an intimate relationship with him, where, but his ways are very different than our ways. And his definitions of success are very different than our definitions. It's, about the intimate, it's not about just doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. It's about doing it with God. So let's keep reading. So Amaziah sent the troops back. And then he was victorious in battle. So let's keep on reading in, in verse 14. It says, When Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir. He set them up as his own gods, bowed, bowed down to them, and burned sacrifices to them. The anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah, and he sent a prophet to him who said, Why do you consult these people's gods, which could not save their own people from your hand? Seems weird. So Amaziah has this huge victory. He's obedient to the Lord. He says, all right, God, I'm going to do what you ask. And they're victorious. Then immediately, what does he do? He says, I'm going to take these idols. We're going to worship these idols now. Like, it seems crazy. That doesn't make any sense. But, but to tell you the truth, I think it makes perfect sense. I think this is exactly what we do. This is exactly what all of us do. We are prone to wander. We are prone to wander. This is the nature of our hearts. I know I'm prone to wander. Like I'll have this amazing experience with God. And I'll say, God, you are in control. Like I give my whole life to you and I, I want intimacy with you. You're in control. And then something bad will happen. I'll be like, okay, how can I fix this? How can I, how can I take control? Like I just forget. I wander. Or I'll, I'll, I'll lead worship. 
I'll lead worship and it'll just be a powerful experience worshiping with you guys and I feel like the Holy Spirit will be here and it'll just be so sweet and I'll just be like sitting in the, the sweetness of his presence and I'm driving home and someone's driving too slow in the fast lane and I just start, what are you doing? And I say some word that I shouldn't say. <laughs> it's because we're prone to wander. We're prone to wander. Or anything. I mean, like, maybe you're like, God, I love you, I love you. And then you lose your temper with your, your child. Or, you, you, you know, you start looking at something you shouldn't look at. Or you start doing something that the, you know that the Lord doesn't want you to do. Again, this, this is for all. We all do it. Amaziah is not that strange. Our sinful nature has this natural drift away from the things of God and onto the things of this world, onto ourselves, onto, onto uh, you know, whatever. Just away from God. And I, we don't know the reason that Amaziah turned from God and turned to these idols, but we can speculate. Like a lot of commentaries believe that he got overconfident, that he won this battle and he thought, Pretty, I'm pretty sweet. Like, I had a, some pretty good military plans out there, and I, you know what? Like, I don't know how much of that was actually God. I think the majority of it was probably my doing. Like, we start justifying the things that God does in our life and saying, you know what? I think that was probably more me than God. Don't we do that? But you know what I think happened with Amaziah? I think Amaziah turned to these idols because they were more comfortable than God. He understood them a little bit more than God. He preferred a God that he could control. He preferred something in his life that he could hold on to, that he could touch, that he could see, that he could say, this is where you're going to be set up. This is how I know you're going to make me feel. This is how I will worship you. I know you're not going to ask me to do things that are out of my comfort zone. Amaziah preferred what he could control. And I think that is so true for us. Sometimes we turn to sinful behavior. Sometimes we turn to things other than God because they, they make us feel comfortable. We say, I know that, that this is, I know this is probably wrong, but I like how it makes me feel. It's easier. It doesn't stretch me as much. God, I know, I know that I probably shouldn't do this, but I mean, this, this just feels better to me. This just feels easier to do this. I feel like Amaziah turned to these idols because it was more comfortable. Amaziah preferred a God that he could control. Sometimes we prefer gods uh, other than, than the real God because we've forgotten who he is. We've forgotten what he's done. I love all throughout the Psalms, David and, and the rest of the psalmists, they, they, they say these phrases where they say, remember, remember his faithfulness, remember his strength, remember his goodness. He's, they're speaking to the, the congregation, but they're, most of the time they're even speaking to their own hearts. They're saying, don't forget who God is. Because we're prone to forget. We forget. Remember that he is kind. David would say, remember how he delivered us from, from Egypt. And we need to do that too. We need to remind ourselves of the things that the Lord has done in our life and just who he is. That's why church is so important. That's why we're not called to do it as lone wolves because together we're able to remind each other that's why we sing these songs saying, you know, you're holy, Lord. You're good, Lord. We, 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 you know, we love you. We praise you. It's remembering who he is and what he's done. We so quickly forget about God's faithfulness or his, his strength or his kindness. But here's what I love. You know, we're prone to wander just like Amaziah. You know, Amaziah turned to these, 
these troops and thought these troops were the thing that was going to provide strength and provide security. And then he, he turned to these idols and thought these were the things. But God gives Amaziah a way to make things right. Both, in both parts of the story. He pursues him and he sends this prophet to say, Amaziah, Stop. I 100% believe that in every area of our life that we have wandered from the Lord, 100% believe that every area that we have wandered from the Lord, God gives us a way back or a way out. God gives us a way out. He always does. And let me just say, this is a phrase that I've seen a lot of the, the, you know, memes and a lot of things that say, you know, God always gives you a way out. And I think a lot of times it's misused. A lot of times we think it means something that it doesn't mean. I mean, it's a biblical concept that God always gives you a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God always gives us a way out. But I don't think that means what we often think it means. Sometimes we think it means that, you know, God's not going to give us more than we can handle. We can handle it. That's another phrase we hear. God is not going to give us more than we can handle. But I'll tell you what, God has given me a lot more in my life than I can handle. It's true. There are so many things in my life that I face that I can't handle. But do you know what? There is nothing that he can't handle. That's the way out. He is the way out. The way out is not our own strength. The way out is, is Jesus. You're going to face things that you can't handle, that you can't control, that you can't fix. There are circumstances where we have blown it big time. I know that I have. And you know what God does not say? He doesn't say, fix it, clean up your mess, and then come talk to me. It's not what he says. He says, turn to me. Do you know that's what the word repent means? To turn away from. To turn away from the thing that, is, that we're holding on to, that we're, we're afraid of, that we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're indulging in. We turn away from it. We turn to him. That's our way out. To repent, to, to confess, to say, no, I don't want that. I want you. We have that choice. Amaziah had that choice to turn away from these troops and to turn to God, to turn away from the idols and to turn back to God. And he ended up not turning away from those idols. We have that choice. Some of you feel like you've blown it too big, that you've made too big of a mess, that you're too far gone. And hear me right now, that is a lie. That is not true. All you have to do, no matter how far away you've gotten, is to turn to him. Not to clean it up, not to fix yourself, to turn to him. God always gives us a way out, and it's just, it's simply turning to him. Now hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that's going to fix all of the situations. That doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to our bad actions, or a bad decision. Sometimes, sometimes God does. Sometimes God comes and he fixes the things that we have blown up. But sometimes he says, you know what? I'm going to have you walk through that. You're going to have to experience the effects of, of what you've, you know, what you've messed up. But you don't have to do it alone. You can do it with me. I can walk with you. We're going to help you build character through this. You know, if you read the story, Amaziah, he sends the troops home, but you know what ends up happening? So those troops end up robbing him. The troops end up robbing him. 
Sometimes when we say, God, I'm going to do the right thing, you know, the troops come back and rob us. It's true in Jesus' life. Jesus, you know, did all the right things and he was killed. He was betrayed. Sometimes when we do what the Lord is asking us to do, there are still negative things that happen. His ways are different than our ways. But the bottom line is God desires intimacy with us. He doesn't want us to have to walk through these highs and lows alone. He knows that this world is hard. He knows that this world is crazy. And he says, you don't have to do it alone. You can do it with me. I can be your strength. I can be wisdom. I can help you navigate. I love that in the life of Jesus, his disciples, there would be storms. And sometimes he would calm the storm. Say, let's go. Let's keep on going. And sometimes he said, we're going to go right through the storm. But I'm going to be with you. That's true in our life. That's what God is calling us to do. That is the normal Christian life. Not a life of making good decisions, but a life of living with the all-powerful God. And that's exciting to me. That's, that's awesome. When I, when, when I think about Christianity just of not sinning and making sure I do these things, that's boring. But it's exciting to think I'm on this journey with God. We're doing this together. And you have exciting things that you've called me to do. And you have things that might seem mundane, that might seem boring, but I know you're going to do it with me. And I can have connection with you. That's the point of our life. That's the po- I, I really believe that's what Amaziah was missing later on in his life, because he forgot. And I want to end with this thought. You know, throughout the series, you'll notice that all of these kings, they all start with this idea of, you know, they're, you know, encapsulating their whole life. And they'll say, you know, this king was a righteous king. This king did what was right before the Lord. Or this king did not do what was right before the Lord. If we read with, about Amaziah back in verse 2, It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. And if you're anything like me, this concept of of these kings being judged by their actions, by some of the choices they make, feel overwhelming. That their whole life can be just, you know, a phrase, he was a good king or he was a bad king. It feels overwhelming to me because I start thinking, well, Am I a good king or am I a bad king? You know, do, do my good choices outweigh my bad choices? Did I do enough positive that the negative doesn't like tip the scale? But here's what the good news is. The good news is because of what Jesus accomplished because of what Jesus did on the cross, we do not have to be judged like that. We don't have to see if our good deeds outweigh our our bad deeds. At least we don't have to. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is such good news. Essentially what that is saying is Jesus, who is without sin, who is perfect, he was the prototype king. He was the perfect king. He took our bad decisions. He, made, he took our bad choices, our sins, so that we may have the righteousness of God. So that when God sees us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. That he doesn't have to see if we've, if we've done enough good or if we've not done enough bad, that we can have the righteousness of God. We're saying, God, I'm going to give you my, my good choices and my bad choices. I'm giving it all to you, and I want your, your, your good choices, Lord. I want your righteousness, 
basically what we're saying was, God, this is my resume. It's not very good. I've blown it a lot. Because we all have. The Bible says we're all guilty. We've all blown it. And we say, this is my resume. Can I, can I trade it for yours? He says, yeah, you can. That's the good news, guys. Because ultimately, one day, and this is not a popular thing to talk about, and honestly, I don't, I don't say this a whole lot, but one day we are going to have to stand before a holy God. And we're going to have to look at our life and say, did I do enough good or I do, did, I, did I do too much bad? But we don't have to do that. We can say, I want Jesus' resume. All you have to do is turn away to turn towards him. Say, God, I want to I follow you. I want to be in this intimate relationship with you. So I want to end like this. I know there are people here today that have never done that. You've never said, God, I want to turn away from what I'm doing and I want to follow you and I want your resume. So can we bow our heads and I'm going to say a prayer. And I want, I want you, if you've, never, if you've never done this, if you've never made that decision, I want you to say this prayer with me. God, I just admit that I made a lot of bad choices in my life. But God, I don't want to be judged by my bad choices. I want your righteousness, Lord. So I turn away from my sin, from my bad choices, and I turn towards you. And I want to I enter into this journey with you and this relationship with you. So keep our heads bowed. If you said that prayer with me, can you just raise your hand? Bless you. Anyone else? Bless you. Anyone else? Why don't we put our hands down? We can lift our heads up. Here's how I want to end. You know, that, that message of the good news of the gospel, it is such good news. But do you know that it is just as relevant to us, you know, today, if we accepted it 50 years ago, as it, it's just as relevant today. We still can say, Lord, I keep on turning to these bad decisions and I need your forgiveness. I need to, I, I keep on putting my eyes on these, you know, bad things. Fixing my eyes on these idols or turning to this, this behavior. But I want to turn away and turn to you. We make that exchange. We say, I give you my sin. Please give me your righteousness. But do you know also that good news of what Jesus did on the cross? We can say, Lord, I'm... I'm, I'm struggling with fear. There's fear in my life. I'm afraid of health things. I'm afraid of, of career things. I want to give you my fear and I want to receive your peace. Or, or, or Lord, I, I'm in this hopeless situation. I, I keep on banging my head up against the same wall and I want to give you my hopelessness and I want to receive your hope. Or, or, Lord, I feel weak. I feel tired. I give you my weakness. And I want to receive your strength. So what I want to do is I want us to stand. Now, if you want to make an exchange with the Lord where you say, I give you this and I want to receive this, I want you to come up to the front. And we're just going to pray for you. And uh, this, is, this, is a, this is the normal Christian life of making exchanges, of intimacy with the Lord, saying, I give you this. Lord, give me that. So just make your way up to the front if any of those things apply to you. But we're going to sing one more song. Don't be afraid.
really, I feel like the Lord is saying, don't miss out on this opportunity. And I'm, I'm calling you to, 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 this, to this life of saying, Lord, I'm, I'm afraid, or Lord, I'm, I'm struggling, or Lord, I, I need you. And this is, a, this is a moment where we can draw a line in the sand and say, enough of that. I want, I want you, Jesus. So I just want to encourage you to come up to the front and receive prayer. I think some of you are feeling a little nudge from God and are just, I think there's some fear in this room. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we break the power of fear. Just ask for freedom. to what I said um, during worship I felt like yesterday um, God was highlighting that there's a couple um, parents who just feel like man I I'm not a good parent and this is a rough weekend for you whether you're a mom or a dad and if you feel like man my kids they're not listening or just whatever it's not working and um, God just wants to give grace for that today because there's complete freedom, because all that matters is that you're being obedient to Him. So if you're really struggling with that, I I encourage you to come down for prayer with that too, because there's freedom. We just worship for a moment. for who you are. We remember the, your good deeds, the good things you've done in our life. We, we remember who you are, Jesus, and we thank you that you are a God who calls us into intimacy. So Lord, we ask for your power to live the life that you've called us to live. And that when we've turned away from you, help us to turn back, Lord. And we just say we love you, Lord. If you're getting prayer, I want to just encourage you to keep on getting prayer. Um, but for the rest of you guys, bless you. Have a wonderful week. Mothers, have a wonderful Mother's Day. Remember to grab your journal when you leave. Sign up for VBS. And if you're visiting, please come say hi in the, the visitor welcome. Bless you.